Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's. I'm Mitch Mason, joined by Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. And fellas, Pac-12 South preview tonight. We talked about the North in the last episode, and tell you what, people really seem to love it. They love their West Coast football. Shout out to Phoenix, Arizona, where they're listening to the podcast. We do appreciate the support. Little Pac-12 footprint listenership here on the podcast. Um, you know, guys, the, the Pac-12 South, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting conference. It's an interesting division of the conference. Uh, potentially a little bit down. We'll get to that in just a second. But first, of course, the housekeeping. Garrett, we've shouted out the, the socials uh, on, on every episode. Right now, one of our most popular episodes includes previews of Kansas football and West Virginia football. Uh, the support has been absolutely unreal. No, absolutely. It's been fantastic. Love the guys that are uh, interacting with us on Twitter, especially doing that. It seemed like uh, through some of our social stuff, we saw a big Oklahoma following. And I think it's just a coincidence that they happen to be in the same preview as you know Kansas and West Virginia I think that was really the big draw to that episode but nice for the Oklahoma guys to you know stick around and hang out and you know see the podcast too it's been awesome to to see all the different fan bases we talked about you know West Virginia fans last time we just obviously came through the Big Ten the Big 12 and the ACC we've got the Pac-12 finishing up this episode and then we'll jump into the SEC some group of five teams and the independents as well don't don't think that we've forgotten about you, Notre Dame or BYU fans. Uh, so, yeah, we will get to all of those teams in due time. Trey, though, as we turn our attention back to the Pac-12 conference and finishing this up, we, we made the note last time around that obviously there are no divisions, quote-unquote, no division champions. It will be the two best teams that play for the Pac-12 title. Might might help the south i mean it might not utah might be the runaway favorite here but it kind of seems like the south could be due for another down year the bottom of the conference the bottom of the division is definitely as bad as we've seen it um at least as bad as i can remember it um but honestly if you were gonna tell me you know pick one division that's more likely to have both of the representatives in the Pac-12 championship game, 
I might pick the South. I might lean towards the South. I could see a couple of different teams. I think Utah is pretty much a lock to finish top two and make that game. I could see a couple other teams in the division sneaking up and stealing that other spot away from the North, but you're right, especially towards the middle and the bottom of this division. Ugh, yikes. It's uh, not going to be pretty football. It will be entertaining football because we know Pac-12 after dark is always something worth staying up for. But sure. outside of that, outside of the maybe two, maybe three division uh, teams at the top of the division, I don't think you need to book your tickets to Las Vegas for <laughs> December. <laughs> unless unless you just love college football like the rest of us. And uh, then- Yeah, I mean, they could probably use the ticket sale boost. So if you're a fan of, you know, uh, one of the teams that we probably think are going to be at the bottom, then could definitely help your conference out by attending that game. Uh, Trey just voicing, I think, what the rest of us think. A quick shout out as well to, uh, I, I tweeted about this just a, just a minute ago, which by the way, if you're not already following, join the movement, 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter. You can also write into the show, 3TechPod at gmail.com if you so wish. Uh, but shout out to Dave Campbell's Texas High School Football Magazine, uh, what is considered the Bible of high school football and, and college football now, as they have college football previews here in the Lone Star State. Also to pick six previews, I got my hard copy of that just a couple of days ago and uh, have been using it religiously for these Pac-12 previews. Uh, Brett just actually dropped us a follow on Twitter, so shout out to Brett. Pick six previews, one of the best, uh, I mean, uh, pieces of literature out there on college football and one of the most accurate predictive models as well, as he's uh, very fond of, of pointing out. So anyway, thank you so much for, for the support. We love using your work uh, to Dave Campbell's as well. Uh, but without any further ado, let's dive into the Pac-12 South. Last couple of teams here. Garrett, you're kicking us off. You're taking us to Tucson. Arizona, they were bad last year, but there, I mean, there could be some hope out there. Jedfish might be turning the program around. <sighs> yeah, maybe. Um, look, we were just talking about how, you know, the bottom of the Pac-12 South is maybe as bad as the bottom can be. And this is uh, pretty much where Arizona has their cornerstone here. Um, look, 2020, Kevin Sumlin is a head coach. They get smoked by rival ASU 70-7. to So they bring in Jed Fish and they say, you know what? Let's go ahead, turn this thing around. It's got to improve by default, right? It can't get any better than winless. And they were right. He went 1-11 last year, not winless. Okay, that's technically an improvement but only in terms their one win was 10 to 3 over cal um this team really struggled to do anything right um but despite that there seems to be some confidence on that side like you're saying head coach jed fish pretty confident he was quoted saying that the sky is the limit with this team they're just getting started there's really no ceiling on what they can accomplish so um you know maybe there's some you know big expectations in that program kind of a started from the bottom story but um, there's a lot of work to be done if the Wildcats want to realize those dreams. They got off to a really good start in recruiting. They finished with the 25th ranked class in the 24-7 composite. So there's certainly some new talent on campus. Um, but, you know, it, it's going to take a little while for that to probably settle in. Um, maybe this year it won't be as bad of a wait for basketball season for the Arizona fans. We'll see. Um, looking at the offensive side, there's some quiet confidence that they could actually put up a good Uh, offense this year and it's gonna have to be better it was 124th in college football uh last year that's in points per game they scored 17.2 points per game and that's worse than the stanford offense that i was breaking down on the last podcast that is not very good 
Um, Arizona also scored uh, 20 points only twice last year, both coming in losses. Um, pretty low mark. That was their lowest number of times they hit 20 points uh, since 1967. Really bad effort on offense uh, for the Wildcats. So looking at the quarterback spot, they went up to Washington State. They get Jaden Delora. He had a pretty good campaign up there at Washington State. Uh, through 63% completions, 2,700 yards, 23 touchdowns to nine interceptions, and that they believe they can continue to improve at Arizona. He's the favorite to win the job. Nobody last year really did anything worth noting. Um, their best guy last year completed 58% passes, 1,600 yards, and a 6-9 to nine touchdown interception ratio. That's just not very good. Um, the main buzz right now is around the 51 uh, overall player, number 51 in the rankings. His name is uh, Tay Tyroa uh, McMillan. He's a freaky athletic wide receiver, um, and he should be a name that's going to be known across the Pac-12 as kind of a day one primary target for the Wildcats. Um, he's been making some crazy plays at practice, has a lot of the fans really optimistic that they can start to make some noise this year. In addition to T-Mac, they're also bringing in Jacob Cowling from UTEP. He's coming off a season where he scored seven times on 69 catches. So that should be a good improvement for them. They should have kind of a one-two punch that should be good. Um, just kind of have to see how they adjust to playing in the Pac-12, uh, obviously coming from different spots. The running back room has some question marks, but in a good way. There's six guys who could make an impact at that position, and the guy who's most likely to get the bulk of those carries is Michael Wiley. Um, he's a really good pass catcher. He should be coming out the backfield a lot doing that. They also have freshman Jonah Coleman and Rayshon Speedy Luke. He was a track star in high school. So between this committee approach, you should have some options for Coach Fish uh, to be able to kind of find a serviceable option to tout the rock this year. Um, the offensive line is bookended by seniors Peyton Fears and Jordan Morgan, um, but everything in the middle is just going to be younger guys. Uh, they do have a six-year super senior Josh Donovan, uh, but he hasn't really proved that he can hold that spot super well. So they're going to be bringing in a lot of new guys from that freshman class um, and a lot of just younger guys in general to try to mix around on the interior and find a way to solidify that. Um, still, you prefer veteran tackles coming back if you're trying to get things going on that offensive line. Uh, flipping over to the defense, there's a new DC in town. His name's Johnny Nansen, and it's probably a good thing that they have a new defensive coordinator. Uh, Don Brown's heading back to coach UMass to multiple million-dollar losses. Sorry about it, UMass fans. Um, this defense gave up 31 points per game last year, and that was good for 101st. Pretty bad. Um, they did play better relative to the Pac-12. They were fifth in yards per game given up, ninth in yards per play. So not necessarily just horrific down at the bottom numbers. They're maybe average for a Pac-12 defense. Uh, but all in all, there's really some chances to improve. If for no other reason, then things just really haven't been great overall on that side of the ball. Um, Nansen has spent most of his career coaching guys in the box. Um, and that's where they're going to be a little bit more talented. They have nose tackle Kion bars. He had five sacks last year from the interior of the defensive line. That's pretty good. You want a guy that's disruptive in the middle. Who's going to be able to get in the backfield and make plays. Uh, they have UCLA transfer Tio Ali, uh, Savea. He's a former four-star guy. He saw a bunch of time last year with the Bruins. He's going to factor into that mix this year. They also have some edge rushers, Hunter Eccles, uh, he's from the other college in L.A., USC, and he should see a bunch of playing time as well. Um, Six-year seniors, Jalen Harris and J.B. Brown, they'll round out the defensive line. Nothing necessarily flashy from them, but leadership presence should help some of those younger guys on campus uh, kind of get going on the defensive side. 
the linebackers were an absolute liability last year, um, and they're really going to have to improve this year to make anything happen. Uh, Malik Reed and Jerry Roberts both had the injury bug in the spring. Um, they're hoping to get back for fall camp. They also have Anthony Solomon. He's a Michigan transfer who came over to make that adjustment um, to that system. If these guys aren't ready, they're going to turn to freshman Sterling Lane. He's a talented option, but he might get thrown into the fire a little bit quick in hopes that he can solve the linebacker problem. Uh, they also have a little bit of a veteran secondary that should help mask some of those linebacker issues. Um, they have Christian Rolland Wallace. He's kind of got an outside chance of getting drafted as a lockdown corner next year. Um, he's going to be one of the better players on this side of the ball for Arizona. Um, the other corner spot's going to be manned by one of two guys. It's going to be Traden Stukes or Isaiah Rutherford. Both of those guys have in-game experience, so whoever ends up winning that job, you know, it's not going to be the first day that they've done it. Uh, they also get 23 starts out of their safeties last year, Jackson Turner and Christian Young, so lots of experience back there. Again, just not necessarily good experience from a unit that was pretty bad last year. Um, they have a floor ceiling. Um, their over-under is actually set at two and a half. I want to say over, but I just think this is going under barely. I think it's two and ten this year. Um, I do think both of those wins come in conference, but I just think this is a two and ten team this year. If these guys, you know, they jump up, they're ready to go now. Some of these younger guys, maybe this team could make a bowl. Uh, but man, these young guys, they, I just don't think they're going to be ready. Uh, and if they end up not performing very well at all, you know, they could go winless this year. The, this team is not very deep and it's not very talented outside of these Ooh. new freshmen. Um, the danger zone for Arizona. Uh, weeks three to five are probably their best bet to get any momentum and hit the over. They play North Dakota State at home. They go to Cal, who they did beat last year, and then they get a very bad Colorado team at home. If they can find a way to go 3-0 in that stretch, they could have a winning record and then get a win streak going into a game against Oregon. So maybe some cause for optimism, but probably another rough year there in Tucson. It should be a rough year. I do think they'll be better, but goodness, Mitch and I were talking before we got on, and why did they do this to themselves in the non-conference <laughs> at San Diego State? Mississippi State at home, North Dakota State at home. And, like, I get it. North Dakota State is an FCS team. They, If you're an FBS team, you should expect to beat someone from a lower level. But you literally scheduled the best one. Um, you can yep. schedule so many teams, and that's the one you choose to schedule. So, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm right there with you on the under. I struggle to find more than two wins on the schedule. I do think they'll be better. I think they're going to score a lot. They're I feel extremely confident saying they're going to score more points this year. Can they stop anybody? I don't know, but they're going to score some points this year. Deluna or Delara is a really solid quarterback get for them out of the portal. I really like that pickup, but man, I, I just don't know if they can stop anybody yet. You'll see some glimpses. I think you'll see some glimmers of hope, but it's you're right. It's, it's not going to be pretty. I, I think Arizona so I've got them going over this season. Um, and clearly that is a glass half full take. So let me outline it for you. Obviously that, that non-conference schedule, borderline stupid to schedule it uh, that way. But I, I have a hard time. I know North Dakota State is like the best FCS team. I have a hard time believing 
that on the road against an Arizona team that should be able to score a lot of points, that North Dakota State wins in a shootout. Now, I could be totally wrong. I very, I mean, hand up, we'll admit that in week three when the Bison go down to Tucson and, and pull one out late night in the desert. That being said, like Garrett said, that, that three-game stretch, North Dakota State, Cal, Colorado, that's their chance to hit this over, right? I mean, I, I previewed the Cal team. They're, they should be better on offense, but who knows? The defense is, is wishy-washy at times, nip, typically the, the, the strength of the program, but not always. And then that Colorado team is going to be, I, I think, dreadful. I think Trey's got the, the preview that. for that. In a battle of, of bad teams, give me the team that can put up 70 as opposed to the team that can give up 70. So you just said Arizona um, twice. Oh, well, I did. I did. And I realized <laughs> that as I was saying it, but Colorado can't score. So I, I, that's true. I, I feel a lot better about the team that probably won't give up 70 in that matchup. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but even if, even as my optimistic take goes, if they win those three games, I don't have them winning another game until they beat Arizona State in the finale because it's a rivalry game. Freaky things can happen. Arizona's at home. I, you know, I'll have the Arizona State preview, I guess, next. I, I don't, I don't trust anything that they have going for them on offense. So, you know, give me the the high powered offense at home, and that's how I can get them to four and eight. But that is truly if everything goes the right way. The, the thing I will say for Jed Fish and companies, he does seem to be getting that buy in, right? A top 25 recruiting class out of nowhere. T-Mac yeah. flips from Oregon to Arizona. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then Jacob Cowing comes in in a, in a highly rated transfer class from UTEP. He had 1,300 yards for the minors last year. That was a big loss for a solid UTEP team last year. So I think some of the pieces are in place offensively. Now they've, they've got to fix that defense if they ever want to compete for a South title or, I mean, frankly, get to a bowl game again. But... I'm a little bit higher on them. I don't know that a lot of teams in the South are going to play defense. And so, you know, give me a team that can can go out and hang a, a high number on on a given week to, to find some wins. So that's, I think, for Arizona fans, for, for our Phoenix listeners, if you happen to be an Arizona fan, maybe you're not. Uh, but if you are, I think that's the case to be somewhat optimistic. Not not much to to kind of look at at the end of the year and be really proud of, but I think maybe the ship is turning in the right direction. The aircraft carrier does not turn around quickly, so you got to be patient. But I think Bear Down is, is going to be fine in the long run. Yeah, they're going to get better. And like this recruiting class, I think, has something to do with it, right? They're going to, if for no other reason than just out-talent some guys, they're going to be able to out-talent some guys in a year or two, right? I don't yeah. think they're there yet. They have some talented guys. They have some guys who are going to be able to make plays. I, again, I think, you know, T-Mac is going to be huge on offense for him, but he's kind of their only big weapon. I'm, Cowling's good. He came over for kind of personal reasons. I, I just, I don't see how you can get both guys going too much, especially with so many questions on the interior of the offensive line. I just, I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm totally off on this, but I, I just don't see how this ends up going well on offense for them. And then, yeah, like you guys were saying, their defense just holes everywhere. You're going to be able to dink and dunk these guys unless people just decide to play better, right? <laughs> it's just going to come down to guys being better than what they were last year. Yeah. Well, let's head down the road and go to Tempe, where 
Tell you what, Arizona State, it feels like they missed their window. There was, the last two years, Arizona State was supposed to be the team that Utah turned into, right? You had Herm Edwards, who was supposed to instill this NFL-like culture. The recruiting was good. You had some talented pieces on both sides of the ball. You fast forward to August 3rd, 2022, when we're recording this, and Arizona State has been racked by off-the-field scandals involving recruiting multiple uh, coaches breaking the rules, including defensive coordinator Antonio Pierce, who has resigned. And now you throw in the fact that they've just forgotten how to recruit. Uh, Not really, I guess, forgotten, but have nothing to offer a lot of these high school kids because they don't know if the NCAA is about to come in and impose sanctions. You don't know if Herm Edwards is going to be there for that much longer. The, The dissenting rumors are certainly starting to grow transfers out of the program at a huge rate. I mean, you lost Jaden Daniels to LSU, Ricky Pearson to Florida, amongst others. It's not good in Tempe right now. Uh, team woefully underachieved last season. They went 7-5 and five with really bad losses to Wazoo and Oregon State, plus an underwhelming loss to Wisconsin in their bowl game. Uh, the fact of the matter is there's just no clear direction heading into this season. And Herm is on one of the hottest seats in America, especially with all the scandal that's going on at Arizona State, which allegedly they were recruiting during the universally accepted dead period while COVID was going on. Um, you know, from from what a lot of people have reported on, like Arizona State beat writers, that was breaking like the unwritten rule of all unwritten rules while the pandemic was going on was, hey, we are not going to have kids coming to campus because that is expressly prohibited and it's you know one of the, one of the worst pandemics that the that the globe has ever seen. So Arizona State decided to cheat during that period and now they're being punished for it. Offensively, the passing attack was supposed to be really really good. Again, Jaden Daniels was low key a dark horse Heisman contender last season and instead they went from huge expectations to not even reaching 200 yards passing in each of the final five games, including the games against Washington and Arizona, when gentlemen, Jaden Daniels didn't even throw for triple digits. He did not reach the 100-yard passing mark in either of those games, which is just mind-boggling. New offensive coordinator is Glenn Thomas. Again, Zach Hill also resigned amid the scandal, so two new coordinators in Tempe. Uh, Their new quarterback is Emory Jones. He comes over from Florida. There's a little bit of optimism around the program about Emory, who, remember, was one of the most highly recruited quarterbacks and I want to say, 2017, flipped from Ohio State to Florida kind of at the last minute when Dan Mullen jumped on board and was supposed to be the guy that brought Florida back to national championship contention, and that just did not happen. He was flashy at best, inconsistent, and and downright ineffective at worst, so Personally, I don't really feel that great about him. Uh, We'll see with the rest of the offense. It's not like there's a ton of pieces that are there to support him. That was why Jaden Daniels left, was at times, if Daniels wasn't running for his life and making gains on the ground, they weren't moving the chains. So uh, it could be a tough tough stretch for Arizona State. A quarterback, uh, a backup quarterback, I should say, is probably going to be Paul Tyson. He transfers in from Alabama. He could unseat Emory Jones, but when Emory committed to Arizona State through the transfer portal, it was 
pretty widely accepted that he was going to be the starter. And I haven't found anything to counter that point. So Tyson might have to wait at least one more year to get a starting job. Sun Devils are known for running the ball, and they're going to need a pair of guys to step up to replace Rashad White, who was drafted in the third round last year. Uh, Daniel Inada rushed for 300 yards last season. Uh, he's the team's leading returner rushing-wise, which is not great, but they also have Xavier Balladay coming in from Wyoming, 5'11 power back uh, who transferred in from the Cowboys, and they're really going to need them to be kind of a, a lightning and thunder tandem. Uh, Arizona State has had a 1,000-yard rusher each of the last four seasons, but they've also had one primary back leading that room. So that streak could be in jeopardy, or uh, potentially, if one guy separates themselves, maybe that streak continues. The issue with that, though, is the offensive line, and not only in run protection and, and, and run blocking, but pass protection as well. They need to replace three starters from last year's offensive line. They did sign four transfers to come in and fill that void, but it's a lot of unknown up front. Out wide in the pass catchers, it's an interesting group considering they lost their two leading receivers last year to the portal. Brian Thompson is the leading returner with just 13 catches. So again, not, not Baylor levels of lack of returning production, but uh, very, very close to it. They also line up in 12 personnel a lot. So the tight ends are, are probably going to be an important factor in this offense. We'll see what they end up doing uh, there, especially if Glenn Thomas decides to, to continue to use 12 personnel. They have a couple of transfers coming in as well. One of them from Missouri is expected to win the starting job. So overall, offensively, they lost a lot of star power last year. And I just don't know that they have the guys to replace it. Defensively, it's a fairly solid group of returners for the Sun Devils. Uh, they're building, they're trying to build on a growing legacy of top 50 defenses under Herm Edwards. But like I said, some of that was credited to Antonio Pierce, who's now obviously not with the program anymore. Uh, Trevez Moore leads the defensive line for the Sun Devils. He missed all of last season, or the end of last season, I'm sorry, after transferring in from LSU. Had a knee injury late in the season, which, which cost him a couple of games. It's above average unit at stopping the run, but guys, we've talked about this with multiple teams. The pass rush is so critical, especially when you're a struggling program looking to win some upsets or at least rack some more wins on your schedule. A lot of it comes from your ability to disrupt the passer and to make that offense get off target. They've not been able to do that the last couple of years. Uh, getting to the passer last year was an absolute struggle. They ranked 101st in the country in quarterback pressures. Linebackers, Kyle Soule is the team leader in tackles for 2021. He's a true captain of the defense, and thankfully he is coming back. In fact, the defensive staff has trusted him for the last couple of years to make calls right there at the line of scrimmage. So if he sees something, he has the ability to change the play call, change the scheme right there on the fly. Uh, the line change in the secondary is probably what is most concerning to me. ASU has to replace four starters, which is just really, really tough and won't be a pass-happy league. Roe Torrance comes in from Auburn. He's probably the highest ceiling guy, but again, it's it's a lot of Jimmys and Joes that Arizona State's going to have to plug and play. So uh, you better hope that the X's and O's are, are ready to go too, just because they don't they don't have the star power in the back end. Floor and ceiling, the over under presented by Bet Online, not a sponsor, could be uh, right at six as of time of recording. If I was actually betting, which please don't bet Arizona State football this season unless you're maybe betting the under, 
I would probably say push just because I've got them personally going six and six, but I think that is very close to the absolute ceiling there. Their schedule isn't the toughest. Uh, They only have to contend with Oregon State, Wazoo, and Washington out of the north, so they do miss Oregon. And their home road splits really aren't that bad. They're at home against Utah, Washington, UCLA, and Oregon State. So a number of their toughest games, they get inside the friendly confines. But personally, I've just I've got a bad feeling that they missed their window. Like I led with off the top. Give me the under. Give me a, a vacancy at head coach maybe midway through this season. Their ceiling may be 7-5, and five, but not much more than that. I really think the floor for this team is as few as, as three or four wins if that offense is, is as bad as it was last season. Uh, the danger zone for Arizona State. Weeks four, five, and six is what I've tabbed uh, versus Utah at USC versus Washington. High probability that they go 0-3 there. Uh, and if they do, I wonder if that's where Arizona State decides to go ahead and pull the trigger, right? I mean, it would be Herm's stock would be at an all-time low, and I don't think very many people would complain about uh, go ahead and starting the coaching carousel there. So, Arizona State fans, strap in. It, it it could be a tough season. Yeah, I think they probably do end up losing that whole stretch. I'm personally really down on Arizona State. I think them and Arizona are in the same place as a program, but just going different directions. Right? I think Arizona State is crashing and burning. Arizona, you know, coming up from the bottom. But, you know, if we put those two programs right next to each other, that means that it's about, you know, to hit rock bottom. So apologies to whoever might be listening as an Arizona State fan. I don't see it going well. I personally have them going three and nine this year, but only one win in conference. Their out of conference sets up a little bit easier for them. Obviously, they have to go to Oklahoma State, and that's going to be tricky. But um, no, I just I don't think it's a good year for them. I think, especially with the you know controversy around Herm and the the roster is just slaughtered. You know, I I don't have any hope for this Arizona State team. Really, um, yeah, rough year for the Sun Devils. They do have some talent, and if you're looking for optimism for Arizona State, that's definitely what you hang your hat on. And if that talent puts it together, they could, like you said, Mitch, maybe get to 7-5 and five or repeat 8-4 and four from last year. But, yeah, I mean, so many people just jump ship last year, and that stretch at the beginning of the year yeah, very easily could be some wandering eyes after week six if the record's not looking too great. So... Yeah, put me in the camp of, you know, I think talent alone and their schedule gets them probably to six and six. Does that keep Herm with everything else? I don't know. Yeah. But who, who's to say? But well, we'll, and, we'll and see. That Oklahoma State game week two, that's a tough way to start the year after playing. Listen, after playing a plucky Northern Arizona team to open up the season, <laughs> uh, you talk about a team that would love to spring an FCS upset over an in-state big brother. Yeah. The, I think the Lumberjacks would would just relish that opportunity. But also, sneaky game, Eastern Michigan, the factory, coming to Tempe week three. That's a weird body clock game for, for Eastern Michigan. But, uh, you know, I mean, shout out to, to our Mac friends. Eastern Michigan might be putting together a nice little program. So I just don't really think that Arizona State has any any comfortable stretches in this season. And so as you have a bunch of new guys trying to find momentum, trying to find their way on a new roster, is there really a chance to build up momentum? I, 
I don't really know if there is. But that being said, if they do find a way to go seven and five, eight and four, I think honestly, people are going to be singing the praises of that coaching staff for, yeah. for cobbling together a bunch of wins with so many new pieces. That so, would be pretty remarkable. <laughs> we, you know, ultimately, we just we got we got to wait and see. Um, the South is pretty open, other than other than Utah. I, we'll get to USC here in a little bit, but could be a chance for Arizona State to make some noise. We'll, we'll wait and see. I will say, so so far on the pod, we've been pretty negative about these teams. Surely the next team we've got to be a lot more positive about, right? Surely the next one has got to be a good one. Oh, stop that. There is no uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't know where that train is. Is that train going over a ravine? <laughs> uh, I need a train crash sound. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> The next team is the Colorado Buffaloes. We should have uh, should mention that before I get into them. Um, one of maybe three teams uh, that had a negative headline on their athletic state of the program. Um, you don't really want a negative headline on your preseason fluff piece. Uh, it was something along the lines of like questions abound or something like that. And look, Carl Durrell... You feel for the guy. He was not set up for success when he took over the Buffaloes. He came in late in the cycle in 2020 after Mel Tucker goes to Michigan State. Then COVID hits. And you know what? They made it to the Alamo Bowl in 2020. I don't think a lot of people saw that coming um, in a really weird year for the Pac-12. But everything that we've seen since then kind of makes that seem like it was a fluke. Uh, after last year, they go 4-8. and eight. The staff is overhauled. Never really a good sign for program health. 23 players entered the transfer portal, um, including last year's leading rusher, top two receivers, both starting corners and a starting safety. Um, and, you know, I think it's a good idea uh, that they want to overhaul some stuff. They talk a lot about needing to find their culture. Was that going to be enough to make them competitive? Uh, probably not, but, you know, We'll see. I'm not going to actively root against Colorado from this platform. I'm going to try my hardest not to actively root against any team from this platform, but what they're doing on offense is making that really hard for me. So let, let me just uh, <laughs> lay this out really quickly. Um, overhauling the offense is a really good call. They finished 129th out of 130 last year. Uh, they failed to reach 200 yards of total offense four times. Um, and they had the lowest average yards per game for a Power 5 team since 2014. Guess who they chose to uh, trust with that overhaul, though? Mike Sanford. And if you don't know who that is, go listen to my thoughts on Minnesota from the Big Ten West uh, preview. He's the guy that I did not have a lot of nice things to say about because he, his, his two years at Minnesota were rough. It was not a talent issue. It was literally a, I don't know how to use the pieces I have issue. Um, Sanford in the athletic, he was quoted as saying, no matter what the stats say, the most physical team is going to win the Pac-12. Guys, what year is it? Can you remind me what, what year is it? This is uh, the year of our Lord 2022, not typically known as the three yards in a cloud of dust era. Yes. So if, if you recall, uh, Minnesota, they ran more than any team other than the service academies and they passed less than any team other than the service academies last year so which which salute the troops first of all salute the troops absolutely but 
if you're not running the triple option, then what are we doing here? Um, so we're going to hopefully overhaul that offense. I'm not optimistic about that. Uh, Brendan Lewis is uh, back at quarterback after starting all 12 games last year. He's going to be in a competition uh, competition with JT Shrout. Lewis, he didn't really light the world on fire. It's hard to put it on him. Uh, offensive line was not good. He was pressured on 43.4% of dropbacks last year. He was sacked 31 oh times. I don't know how anyone would be successful uh, under that situation. They bring back three starters from that offensive line, so hopefully they'll be able to put that together. They also brought in Tommy Brown, who's a former four-star uh, from Bama. Hopefully he's going to man one of those guard spots for him. RJ Sneed, hopefully another impact transfer. I think a lot of people were really surprised when he came up from Baylor. He was probably going to take over Tyquan Thornton's spot as the guy in the Bears offense, and he moves up to Boulder to give a really legitimate um, – target for Lewis uh, when when that offense gets going. Can we use him properly? We'll see. <laughs> but um, yeah, that there's at least hope there and a couple of star players making them move over. Uh, on the transferring outside, though, Jarek Broussard, of course, former Pac-12 freshman of the year, really talented running back for the Buffaloes, transfers out. Um, he's at Michigan State. And Alex Fontenot is back. He's going to be the lead of the backfield. He's led it in the past. He's been around the Buffaloes program for a long time. I think the last time he got real significant action was probably 2019. But they're hoping that he can bring that uh, action back, bring the energy to lead that backfield. Deion Smith is also going to be an interesting change of pace back. Um, but if you're looking for the true bright spot, I think it's Brady Russell at tight end. He's got a good chance to be a solid NFL draft prospect after the season. And he just really needs to step up as that go-to target for the Buffalo's offense. It's really hard to be optimistic outside of that. Like I said, there's just not a lot, not a lot to be excited about in Boulder. Um, defensively, they really have to do a better job of getting to the opposing quarterback. So I talked about how they struggled with protecting their own quarterback exact same problem in reverse on the other side of the ball they ranked 115th nationally in pressure rate last year so when you think about negative plays and getting those back um when your defense is out on the field it's not working out in a complimentary way they have some intriguing talent up front they've got terrence lang as a four-year starter um there's a nice rotation at defensive tackle but someone would really have to drastically improve to give hope uh, for a better pass rush. Like someone has to make a jump year to year in the program. The only new addition of note is Chance Main from Incarnate Word. Um, Josh Chandler Semedo is a guy that I'm really interested in. He transfers in from West Virginia, a linebacker. He was really productive last year. I think Mountaineer fans may be a little uh, not pleased with him and his rush defense, but he was productive. He made a lot of tackles. So there's a lot of youth in that linebacker room as well to be excited about. But um, the secondary, like I mentioned at the top, hardest hit with portal losses. Both their starting corners and a starting safety are gone um, into the portal. Only returning starter is safety Isaiah Lewis. Um, looks like Kalen Moore and Nico Reed are uh, going to probably be the slot in starters at corner. They flashed a little bit last year. So Hopefully they can take a next step and uh, shore up that pass defense. Their floor and ceiling at Vegas over under is set right at three. Guys, this is another team just like Arizona. I don't know what they were thinking in the non-conference schedule. 
TCU at home at Air Force, the short drive down I-25 to Colorado Springs, and at Minnesota, a team that beat them 30 to nothing in Boulder last year. Whew, I, I just, that's not a really hopeful uh, situation in the non-conference <laughs> slate. They're probably going to start 0-4 um, with their best chance of a win. I think the first time they'll maybe have a chance of being favored in a game is October 1st at Arizona. Um, but even then, you know, we talked about Arizona. Uh, I don't know. All that's all that to say, it's going to be an under at three for me. Um, their <laughs> danger zone. You mean you're not getting them to bowl eligibility? Despite all that, no, I'm not getting them to bowl eligibility. Um, if that start wasn't difficult enough, um, TCU at Air Force at Minnesota, UCLA, if that wasn't uh, hard enough, let me give you their close. It is uh, Oregon at USC at Washington, Utah to close it out. So Oof. maybe they can pick up some wins in the middle. Maybe they catch, you know, they caught Oregon State last year. Um, they have Arizona and Cal back to back with a bye in between them. So maybe there's an opportunity to get some momentum there in the middle of the schedule, but the opening and the closing are just horrendous if you're a Buffaloes fan. Yeah. Can I copy paste my comments from the last couple to this? Just, you know, the pretty bad team needs to figure some stuff out. Um, I, I mean, not a whole lot of optimism, huge amount of transfers out not optimistic on the coaching staff. Of the, I mean, just copy paste. I don't yeah, know if Carl Durrell, if Carl Durrell is the coach in September of 2023, I'll be pleasantly surprised oh, for the yeah. Buffalo. Well, listen, like you said, not rooting against him. I actually have a friend no, absolutely not. On, on the football staff for Colorado, but yeah, it just, it's tough. It's tough to find multiple wins on this schedule because even you know like the the service academies have now truly the most interesting year-to-year change because they can't recruit normally and they can't use the portal right except for guys going out um but even air force air force is expected to be pretty solid this year now they had a really good team last year i don't know if they're going to be quite that high but but still like they're they're more than likely not winning a game in non-conference. And then, like you said, Arizona, week five, maybe their first legitimate chance at a win. And if if they don't beat the Wildcats, I, good luck finding a win on this schedule. Um, so, you know, I mean, always things like injuries and, you know, hot streaks and cold streaks for, for various teams could end up giving the Buffs a couple of different wins. But it's very, very hard to, to find that uh, just looking – looking through the lens of, of the preseason preview, right? I mean, it is a team that just has so much work to do. And you know what? We, we really hope that Colorado can get that work done. It's a beautiful place to play, uh, a, beautiful play a beautiful place to visit, great-looking campus, um, you know, just, just not their year for, for football. With that being said, though, we do start to transfer towards some, some programs that at least are trending in the right direction. Now, Say what you will about Bruins football. Garrett's going to give us kind of the rundown on, on UCLA, what Chip Kelly has done. I think overall Chip is maybe underwhelmed a little bit in his tenure at UCLA. But Garrett, what is the case for the Bruins here in 2022? Yeah, let's finally get on the bright side of things, right? Let's get to the better part of this uh, South Division. Uh, look, I'm a big Chip Kelly fan. I think Chip Kelly's a great coach. 
Um, if I had to hire somebody, he's probably one of my first calls. Um, he had a little bit of a rough start to his tenure at UCLA. Things are finally starting to look up, though, right? They go eight and four. They had a big win over LSU, big win over in-town rival USC. Kelly got his contract extension. Things are starting to roll, right? Bruins, you know, they're preparing to jump ship, go to the Big Ten, and things are on the up and up for him. So, you know, that's it's certainly a lot of reasons for optimism if you are a Bruins fan. Um, still this year, they got their Pac-12 schedule, and they're going to need to continue to improve as a program if they want to keep up with some of these better teams like Oregon, USC, Utah, who have invested in these new coaches um, and are sort of at the top of the conference right now. Um, and there's definitely a lot more national excitement around those teams than there are with the Bruins. I think there's some sleeping on the Bruins right now, but um, th- they need to start to back some of that up. Um, on offense, if you know Chip Kelly, you know the offense is going to be good. Last year, they scored 36.5 points per game. That put him 13th nationally. Um, but a really surprising statistic to me was they finished 14th nationally in rushing yards per game with 215. This team could flat out run the ball last year. They had lots of guys who could do that. Um, and honestly, like if this offense is going to succeed again, that's going to have to be another big part of the equation. Now, a big reason for that is going to be the return of fifth year quarterback Dorian Thompson Robinson. Kind of a surprise that he did come back. A lot of guys thought he was headed to the draft. And so they started to kind of look around in the portal. And then he decides to come back. I guess he's going to improve his draft stock, run it back for another year uh, in Los Angeles. And that certainly has uh, Chip Kelly and staff really excited. Last year, he completed 62%, 2,400 yards, and a 21 to 6 touchdown interception ratio. Not necessarily, you know, crazy world beating numbers here, but good, very good numbers. Um, and, and where he makes the real difference is as a true dual threat. He ran for 609 yards and nine touchdowns to go along with that. Um, if you're scoring 30 touchdowns in a year, you're making a difference, right? That's a guy you want lining up a quarterback for you. Um, having him lets Kelly do a lot of different things in his offense. Uh, and if he can just get that efficiency up in his completion percentage, he's going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the conference, uh, maybe even in the nation as we go into next year's draft. Um, another huge piece of this puzzle is the returning workhorse running back, Zach Charbonnet. This guy is getting heavily slept on nationally. I'm comfortable putting him as a top five possible running back in this country. Um, last year, he averaged 5.6 yards per carry. He racked up over 1,100 yards and 13 touchdowns. He's 220 in his weight. He's one of the hardest runners to bring down in the country. Um, given the way some of these defenses are in the Pac-12, he should be poised for another huge year. If for some reason he can't go, maybe an injury, we wouldn't want to hope anything like that, obviously. But sophomore Keegan Jones backs him up. Talented, inexperienced, but he could take care of things. Uh, in the backfield to keep things rolling for the Bruins should something happen. Um, the pass catchers, bunch of new faces for them. Um, and this is kind of a big piece to solve for Coach Kelly and the Bruins. Um, they're bringing in Jake Bobo from Duke to be their number one guy, and he should be able to fill that role. He was a third-team All-ACC last year, 74 catches for 794 yards, but only one touchdown. That's a little bit of a red flag if you ask me. Um, around him, utility piece Casimir Allen will probably see a lot of work downfield for the Bruins. Logan Loya in the slot, he should also kind of round out their primary targets. They're going to have to find a way to score a lot more with these guys, um, especially considering the massive drop-off in production from last year. But with a quarterback that you're bringing back, the, his ability, he should be able to get the ball passed around. It's just going to be who's going to get the chemistry, who's going to get the timing down, and how are they going to work these guys into the offense. Uh, on the offensive line, 
the Bruins are bringing back a group that performed really well last year, and they're hoping to kind of keep that going, that that wasn't sort of a flash in the pan, you know, one year and then you lose it type of thing. Uh, the interior is plenty steady. They got guys like Antonio Maffi, Sam Marazzo, uh, John Gaines II, but their tackles are going to be the spots they need to get sorted out pretty quickly. Uh, they bring in Rutgers transfer Rayquan O'Neal, and then they also have Garrett DiGiorgio, um, he's most likely going to start. Those two guys are most likely going to be the guys on the outside at tackle for them. Um, if they don't perform well, if they don't mesh well with the rest of the line, there could be some younger guys that step up, but those are probably the guys that are going to round this out. And you got to be a little concerned with your tackles being the question marks there, but all things considered lots of reasons for optimism on the offense. Uh, defensively, they bring in a new defensive coordinator, Bill McGovern. He was kind of an obvious choice for Kelly, given the familiarity they had from their stint in the NFL. Um, he's coming in to try to give this group a boost. UCLA gave up 26.8 points per game last year. It was, you know, kind of a mediocre, disappointing sort of 73rd in the nation. They want to be a lot better than that. It's nothing necessarily to be ashamed about, but they want to do a lot better. Um, the big issue for them was they struggled in their pass defense. They finished 107th in the nation and dead last in the conference in passing defense. Um, so they're going to need to find a much better way to sort of contain some of these more you know pass heavy offenses uh, especially with as good as they are in the front seven um starting out in the secondary actually they lose their leader Quantrez Knight they're going to need to fill that void if they want to improve on last year Stephen Blaylock is the veteran who's going to step up for them um he's going to be a safety that sort of just fills that role tries to kind of bring some of that veteran presence on the back end uh, he'll be joined on the back end by uh, Kenny Churchwell the third uh, he's kind of a long, versatile guy. He can really get out and cover. So hopefully a little bit of a new you know, sort of scene there should help them out. Um, they're going to be joined by Wyoming transfer Azizi Hearn and the redshirt freshman Devin Kirkwood. That kind of rounds out the secondary. Uh, look, they shook up the personnel. They're going to hope that things change on the back end and they're better in pass defense. Um, a big reason why I think they were a little bit poor in pass defense had to do with their pass rush. When you look at their front seven, it's a really good group, lots of depth, lots of talent, but not necessarily a star, right? Not necessarily that guy who's going to make the play is that when you're lining up on the other side, you have to make sure you check that guy. Just a lot of really good players. Uh, they did bring in UNT transfers and twins, Gabriel and Grace and Murphy. Uh, they come over to try to spark something in the pass rush, you know, kind of get something going there to create more negative plays. Uh, they're going to be joining Jay Toia and Martin Andrews Jr. Uh, on that defensive line. Uh, looking at the linebackers there, you've got Kane Madrano. He should be sort of the main linebacker. He's joined by Hawaii transfer Darius Musau. Um, look, they're just hoping that some new faces in that defensive room, uh, they're going to kind of provide a little bit more competition, provide a little bit more of a spark uh, as they go into this you know, Pac-12 season where they're trying to create more negative plays, trying to get after some guys, just be a little bit more effective. Um, as a defensive unit. Um, the floor ceiling for them, we've got an over-under set at 8.5. Man, I think that's a really good line. Uh, I think they go barely under. I have them picked to go 8-4, and four, but they have plenty of time at the start of the season to kind of get things right and gain some momentum. Their ceiling is probably 10-2, and two, um, and that would be a fantastic season for that group, but I can't really find a way to get them lower than 7-5 and five right now, barring just some crazy upsets. Um, it looks like it's going to be another good year. And look, eight and four for a second year in a row, there should be no 
problem with that if you're the UCLA fan base, right? If you go eight and four again, that should be another step in the right direction. Keep growing as a program. Looking at this team's danger zone. I think weeks five, six, and eight define their season. Uh, They play Washington and Utah at home back-to-back. They get a bye week, and then they go to Oregon. Look, that's a tough stretch right there. But if they can find a way to just win two of those games, that would be massive for them. On the flip side, though, they lose all three, and that would be a huge letdown that I think goes into the back half of their season with a little bit of a a head-hanging, feeling defeated, and it could lead to more letdowns as you go through the rest of the schedule. Hammer that over. Ooh. Mitch is looking at me like Mitch is looking at me like he's going to vehemently disagree. Look at their schedule. If they are not four and zero going into that Washington game, then something is terribly wrong. I think I'm high on Washington just kind of by default on their schedule, so I see them getting past that one. Undefeated going into the Utah game, probably the biggest game the Rose Bowl has seen for UCLA, at least in years on October 8th. I don't know, man. I, I am really, really high on this UCLA team. It would not shock me at all if they showed up in Vegas at the end of the year. Um, Holy cow. Wow. It's it's all an offense. Like their defense, their defense definitely has concerns. Defense. Yeah. I'll, fully admit that but dtr and zach charbonnet name me a more exciting one-two punch at quarterback and running back in this conference oh yeah no read option with those guys is disgusting yeah i they're so fun to watch man zach charbonnet when you were talking about how slept on he is i was just nodding my head because he is (laughs) amazing and he's great he's a fantastic back i you know i could end up hating this take at the end of the year and when if they go six and six but i'm on the hype train for ucla i i don't like disagree i i don't think i don't think they get to vegas for sure I, i've got i if they I, knock I, off oregon then they're in the driver's seat for well, it. that's true if they can knock off oregon they were within yeah. three points of oregon last year they only lost by three and People forget that UCLA had a really, really good year last year because they didn't play in the bowl game. They didn't get to play in their bowl game, and yeah. I think that makes people forget how good they were. Here, here's the point. So that defense is concerning. Uh, here's yes, the, the, absolutely. Point, the point that is in favor of that UCLA defense. Again, fellas, it's pass rush. So by adding the Murphy twins from North Texas, they add 16 sacks of production to that, that roster. Big. From last season. Now, again, that is that is you know Conference USA. That's at North Texas, different level of competition. But Gabe Murphy is a legit pass rusher on the edge. Grayson, his his other his brother that, that typically plays more traditional linebacker, maybe a step behind. But but Gabe Murphy off the edge is a legit pass rusher. So I will say that is certainly in favor of UCLA. Now I look at their schedule, and yeah, they're going to be four and zero. If they're not 4-0, I mean, something has gone 
egregiously wrong. If like, they're not four and zero going into Washington, this you will not hear this part of the podcast anymore. <laughs> you won't be able to seriously disappear. Bowling Green is, I think, a, a, a favorite to at least contend for a MAC title, but very different level of competition. Alabama State's an FCS team, and then South Alabama is hashtag not good. So, you know, then then Colorado to open up conference schedule. I having Washington at home helps. Now, does the Rose Bowl really offer a home field advantage? You know, who could say? But maybe if they're four and it does. I don't maybe know. if they're four and right? It was a good um, home field advantage against LSU last year. Yeah. So I've got Washington winning that game. I've got Utah winning the next game and then Oregon beating them the week after that. So the way that my schedule sets up, that that would literally be a calendar month without a W, which I think would really grind the the momentum, the hype train to a halt. Yeah. Um, and you know, and then just the way that I broke it down, I, I don't really have a reason to support Cal beating UCLA in the season finale, although rivalry game, weird things happen. So I was trying to to mix some of that in my projections so that I didn't just have you know, a bunch of uh, of brand names finishing at nine and three, ten and two, stuff like that. Uh, just because you know that's the fun of college football. I will say I would actually lean towards you guys being more more likely to be correct than I am because I am choosing to see some of the negatives. I think the rushing attack is going to be great for UCLA and guys. The rushing defense in this conference is not good. So yeah. that, Zach Charbonnet could have. Very close to fifteen hundred yards if he wants it this season. Which, if if that's the case and he stays healthy all year, yeah, UCLA is a contender. Nine and three, maybe a ten and two season. I do worry about DTR at his worst is very similar to quarterbacks like Emory Jones, like Jaden Daniels. That when he doesn't get a lot of help, he can start to make some poor decisions and he can start to try and force the ball downfield and make plays exclusively with his legs which typically isn't winning football. Now, that being said, I do like the case for UCLA very quietly sneaking up on this Pac-12 South and making noise towards the end of the year. So if we get to midway through the season, eight games into the season, and UCLA is in contention for Vegas, I will absolutely raise my hand and admit, fully admit, that I was too low on the Bruins. So I think there's a very, very good case for both sides. I don't think this is a bad team and I don't think that their floor is really below seven and five. I think they are a solid bowl team bar none. My questions emanate on the defense and then what Chip Kelly does, right? I mean, like I said, off the top, he has underwhelmed a little bit in his tenure at UCLA. Um, sometimes you, you, you can't totally account for that, but uh, it would be fun if UCLA was good. And gentlemen, they absolutely blew out their rival in USC last year which is our next team. I've got the Trojans, state of the program. Look, everyone knows the story here, right? Lincoln Riley leaves in the middle of the proverbial night for a ridiculous amount of riches in LA, right? Uh, With him comes quarterback Caleb Williams, wide receiver Mario Williams, host of other transfers from other programs that want to come be a Trojan, hashtag fight on. Thought is that Riley was was going to start a tidal wave of, of recruiting momentum, of, of transfer momentum, and he did do that. They had one of the top transfer classes in the country for a short period of time. They had, a, I think, the top 
rated 2023 recruiting class. Now that is no longer as the, the cycle has gone on. And I think some of the warts of this USC program, both on and off the field, once again, have come to the foreground. Now USC again, back in the news, moving to the big 10, they're the only one of the USC UCLA pair that is guaranteed to go to the big 10. Uh, yeah, I don't think Garrett mentioned UCLA actually might be in a lot of legal trouble. They did not inform the California state of like trustees or the school, some, some board that, Hey, we plan to move on from the PAC 12. And so legally there might be a case that UCLA has to stay, uh, despite them being over $110 million in debt. But we've talked about UCLA already. Um, here, here's the deal with USC, right? They've been a lot of sizzle and not a lot of stake uh, over these last couple months. Now, that's both a fair and unfair comment because while they're trying to promote this kind of return of swag to LA and to the Rose Bowl and to the Trojans being a top brand, we haven't seen them play a football game yet, for better or for worse. The concerning thing from a recruiting standpoint is that a lot of these top recruits are suddenly looking elsewhere. They've got guys that were thought to be the heartthrobs of this program, right? The guys that were going to come in and take USC back to the Pete Carroll days. Suddenly they're looking elsewhere. Uh, interest from Louisville, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, a couple of programs that they're getting, you know, these guys are getting crystal balls to. Now throw recruiting science out the window. Nothing's been decided right? They haven't had any of these big flips yet, but I'm just saying, including it in the state of the program, not necessarily a guarantee that they get these guys on campus. I will say Trojan fans, isn't it just a better world without Clay Helton at the helm? He has finally gone after seven years, guys, seven years that he was as mediocre as it could get at USC. And they finally dethroned him. They fired him, I think like two games into last season. Just a nightmare. So maybe it was darkest before the dawn, and now Lincoln Riley is ready to win at USC. Uh, they do have to overcome a 4-8 and record a season ago, and this is what I think people just kind of are choosing to forget. I think it's a bit of revisionist history. They stunk last year. 4-8, and the worst record since 1991. They couldn't tackle. They had inconsistent quarterback play and embarrassing losses all season long. They lost to Stanford, Oregon State, Cal, teeth kicking by UCLA. They lost 62 to 33 in their own building guys. It was just a, a bleak scene in all six of their last seven games and they lost their last four in a row. So that's the reality. That's what we've last seen from the Trojans on a football field. Now, that being said, the, the probability is that USC hit rock bottom last year. And now they are on this kind of illustrious, hyped up upward trajectory. I'm I'm gonna tell you let's let's wait a little bit before we crown UC, uh, USC as as Pac-12 champions, but let's get into it. Offensively, we talked about the quarterback. Everyone saw Caleb Williams lead that OU comeback over Texas in the Red River rivalry, right? One of the greatest comebacks in rivalry history. It was truly incredible what he did as a true freshman coming in under fire and beating their top rival in a national spotlight. Uh, his ceiling truly is, and I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. His ceiling's the best quarterback in the country. This kid could be unbelievably special, Heisman winner, program record setter. I mean, he could do it all at USC if given enough time. His floor, though, realistically, is a young kid who leaves the pocket too soon and occasionally will rely exclusively on his arm talent to get him in and out of tight windows. We saw him throw picks last year trying to do exactly that. So his maturity, his growth, 
I think is a big question mark and something to pay attention to for the Trojan fans. Uh, throw in the fact that they are extremely thin at quarterback. Four star, uh, former four-star recruit Miller Moss is the only other scholarship quarterback on this roster. I tell you what, if one of those guys goes down at any point during the season, things get really scary for the Trojans. Uh, Travis Dye arrives from Oregon. He'll be the lead running back in the backfield. Last season for the Ducks, he rushed for nearly 1,300 yards. And then you add in over 400 receiving yards and a couple of touchdowns, and you've got one of the most complete backs in the country. You you guys mentioned, is there a better quarterback or running back tandem than DTR and Zach Charbonnet? Potentially, Caleb Williams and Travis Dye. I, they could be really, really special together. Mario Williams is probably the headliner wide receiver, transferred from OU. He flashed for the Sooners last year and probably presents the biggest ray of sunshine for this wide receiver core after they did lose all-world all freak Drake London to the draft, right? We saw him make some tremendous plays in a Trojan uniform. Now he's an Atlanta Falcon. Uh, Terrell Bynum, who we mentioned in the last episode, comes in from Washington. And I've also been told to watch for contributions from true freshman Relique Brown. Kid could be used kind of as a do-it-all option. Uh, as a running back, as a wide receiver, just moving in and out of the backfield, true do-it-all at the skill position. Uh, They've got Jordan Addison, too. And, and they have Jordan Addison, you're right, uh, who obviously uh, fetched a bunch of headlines coming in uh, from Pitt after he won the Bolitnikoff Award and you know allegedly transferred for, for NIL reasons. Maybe he's not so happy about that. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, very, very, very flashy, very solid receiving core. Uh, for the Trojans, a lot of kids that are new to the program, though, and how they gel, how they work. You know, we I, I think we tweeted about this not too long ago, potentially a too many cooks in the, the kitchen situation for USC with all these big name guys coming to the program. Again, Riley not only has to, to form a winning culture, but he's also got to wrangle a lot of personalities in the same locker room. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't always work out. Uh, USC struggled mightily in the trenches over the last couple of seasons. You really have to go back to the Pete Carroll days to find success, especially on the offensive line. This season, they have four starters back, which could be a good thing. They were really bad last season, but hopefully another year of experience strengthens them. And they brought in two more in the program with years of experience, including Bobby Haskins, who started for Virginia last year at left tackle, was, was a very solid performer in the ACC. Defensively, just a statement of fact, Alex, Alex Grinch is the defensive coordinator. Some people may love that. Some people may hate that. I'll let you interpret that how you will. Team was brutally bad last season on defense. No two ways about it. Uh, really an all-time stinker for the Trojans. They ranked 102nd in points per game, 102nd in third down prevention, 110th in yards per play, and 113th in points per play. Guys, they were almost giving up a point per play last season, which, as I mentioned, is historically bad for a, you know, a vaunted Trojans program. They're still thin up the middle on the defensive line, which I think you know, I alluded to just a minute ago. I think that offenses like Oregon State, USC, or I'm sorry, UCLA, team Utah, teams that just pound the rock, I think they're going to have so much success running it up the middle against USC this season. If you commit to the run, and can make yards on the ground, you have a really good chance of moving the chains and scoring points against the Trojans. A lot of questions to, to answer on this side of the ball, um, which is why I'm really not certain that they're ready to, to even contend for a Pac-12 championship. I mean, look, guys, 
you got to control the trenches. You've got to defend the run and get to the passer, and I don't know that they're going to be able to do either this year. Um, they didn't get to the passer last year at all. They ranked 98th in sacks, so quarterbacks just the last season as a whole were pretty comfy in the pocket against them. Um, they'll pray that Corey Foreman, former top overall recruit out of California, and at one time he was the top uh, recruit coming out of the 2021 class, is healthy. He's had some knee issues and just didn't didn't produce for them last year. Um, Shane Lee transfers in from Alabama to give USC uh, a little bit of a lift at, at linebacker, as does Arizona State transfer Eric Gentry. He was the captain of the Sun Devils defense last year. That was a brutal loss for, for Herman the boys, so he comes over in conference to USC. They've been really average since the days of Brian Cushing and, and Clay Matthews Jr., so you know, what do they get out of that position? I think we'll, we'll tell you a lot. Uh, depth in the secondary, also a major concern. They've got guys like Caden Bullock at safety who have some starting experience, albeit it's only like six games, but really just no one who's set to take over at the safety position. They bring over Brian Shaw from Ohio State. Zion Branch, four-star recruit from last season, is, is also on campus. He came in in June. So, you know, some young potential, but just nobody proven yet. And you've also got transfers from Colorado and Oklahoma who are looking in to come, uh, come in and start at cornerback, plus five-star freshman uh, Damani Jackson waiting in the wings as well from uh, Matter Day. So they've, they've got stars. They've got potential. High recruiting rankings in the secondary, but just nobody's really, really proven them. So again, just a lot of questions for USC. Floor ceiling, the over-under right now is nine and a half. Uh, to me... This seems high for a team that went four and eight last year and has all these pieces to glue together. If I was betting on Trojans football, I would have to take the under on principle. I think it's Dusty Dvorak that that is famous for kind of his rubric, sticking to his rubric when it comes to betting on teams. They don't they don't get high marks from me on my rubric on playing winning football. Again, a lot of sizzle. I'm worried about the stake. Um, Personally, I think this defense is just awful still. I think they're going to take some some steps. But but guys, I mean, tell me where I'm wrong. Like, they're not – they haven't proven anything. So I, I've got them going 9-3 and three in our in our conference projections. That really, to me, is is as confident as I feel I can put them. I think probably that 8-4 and four is, is probably where they, uh, where they land. I will say, in their favor, it's not that hard of a conference schedule. They miss Oregon and Washington out of the north. Uh, they do play Notre Dame for the Jewel Chilele at the end of the season, but uh, that is literally the season finale's problem. So in conference, I, th- I think they should be able to make some noise. Uh, their danger zone. For me, I, I put the four-week stretch between weeks three and six. So versus Fresno State, that's a tough game. At Oregon State versus Arizona State versus Wazoo. Now, they do have three of those games at home, which I think should give them kind of a, a comfy advantage there. But I tell you what, they trip up against any of those teams, and at the very least, there's going to be a lot of national headlines, right? Like, on principle, they shouldn't lose to any of those four teams. They are more talented than every one of those teams, and yet we're kind of high on the Beavers and what they might do this year. Wazoo could be plucky, and we haven't gotten to them yet, but Jake Hayner's back at Fresno State, boys and girls. Even though Kalen DeBoer isn't the head coach, a uh, lot of familiarity in that program. A lot of veteran pieces coming back for the Bulldogs. So 
you know, potential for USC to trip up and, and maybe not reach that ceiling. Now, that being said, I am certainly, I think, more pessimistic on the Trojans than the two of you guys are, which apparently is a theme in this episode. So if you would like to fire off a rebuttal, the floor is now yours. So for me, when I look at USC, I actually think there's, let me zoom out. In the Pac-12, I think there's a definitive top tier with two teams. And then I think there's a gap and a definitive second tier with a few teams. I think USC is definitively in that second tier. I don't think that they're going to be able to compete with the top teams in this conference. And I just, I think they're going to be able to smoke the rest of the conference with a couple of exceptions um, just based on talent alone, some coaching alone. But look, I mean, any team that wins four games and then brings in a new head coach, everyone's going to question it. And, and I have a massive caveat to this. I, I have USC going 10-2 and two this year with a massive caveat. Every single year, it seems like there's a quarterback nationally who just, he's supposed to be amazing, he's supposed to be wonderful, and he doesn't live up to expectations. Last year... That guy was Rattler. His head coach and his backup are both at USC. So uh, I'm saying it right now. I think Williams has a chance to massively bust right now. I don't think that he's a terrible player. I think he's a very good player. However, this is the same guy that had some games on the ropes at Oklahoma. This is the same guy who didn't always look that good. And you make him change to the coast you let him you let him go and it's a new system albeit some similar coaches but it's still some new stuff you expect him to just take that big leap and be a national top quarterback i'm not going there okay now i think it is probably you know 80 to 90% likely he will be a very very good quarterback but with that being said if you make me pick a quarterback who's supposed to be amazing this year and then is going to bust i'm probably picking williams so that's my massive caveat for me I mean, just just going by talent alone on paper, Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in this league, right? Like, sure. But like, bus potential aside, like just pure talent, I I think Caleb Williams. You can't point to me a more just physically gifted on paper quarterback in the Pac-12. You guys keep throwing four and eight out there. I I do want to push back against that a little bit. They fired their coach after week two. They fired their coach after a loss against Stanford in week two. So, yeah, like four and eight. Should USC ever be four and eight? Probably not. Like, I get that. But there was just so many. Like, that, that was just an absolute everything went wrong season on top of the coach getting fired you know Keaton Slovis gets hurt he's in and out of the lineup Jackson Dart was really inconsistent um as a backup there I'm not necessarily holding four and eight against last year's team as much as you guys are just because of those circumstances in addition it's almost a completely different team this year and we can talk about them needing to gel I think they have the most talented quarterback in the conference. I think they have the best wide receiver room in the conference. Um, Die is, like Mitch said, arguably the best running back in the conference, possibly. He's definitely in the top three, I would say, at worst. I, it's There's just too much talent for me to be too pessimistic. Now, are they going to go to the playoff? Absolutely not. 
Like I am nowhere near saying that they're going to make a run to the college football playoff. Will they be in a New Year's Six Bowl? I could see that. I could definitely see a New Year's Six Bowl. Maybe not the Rose Bowl. They usually, um, I think whoever wins the Pac-12 will be in the Rose Bowl. I don't have them winning the Pac-12. But I could see them in a Fiat. Uh, I don't remember what the playoff games are this year. But I could see them in a, uh, a different New Year's Six Bowl for sure. Like I, I, I have them at, uh, I have them at nine and three right now. You could flip a couple of those games easily. They don't really have a tough back-to-back on the no, schedule, at least on paper. Like th- probably their toughest back-to-back in the whole schedule um, is Washington State and at Utah until they get to the very end with UCLA and Notre Dame. So mm-hmm. lots of opportunities to build momentum, a soft opening to the schedule with Rice and Stanford to – I know Stanford beat them last year, but um, – a soft opening to kind of gel and I don't know guys. I, I, it seems like I'm higher on them than you guys are. I know Garrett, you picked them 10 and two, but I, I don't see a lot of tough speed bumps on their schedule. And that well, gives and me confidence for a good year one. To clarify my thoughts here. I think they're going to be a very, very good team. I could see them making a new year six bowl. I just, I'm not willing to say anything definitively about this team because there's so many variables. And that's kind of what I was getting at is it, when you take a team who was bad last year and bring in a whole new staff and a whole bunch of new players, who knows how that's going to be. And I mean, like we talked about it a little bit at the start, Mitch mentioned it at least Jordan Addison, maybe not super happy with some of the stuff that's been going on recently. You know, is that going to be a locker room distraction? Right. I, I don't know. It, it seems like, you know, with, with Lincoln at Oklahoma, every now and then you get a locker room distraction and it would kind of stop this team from finding its potential. So, uh, you know, I think they're probably going to be really good. I, I, I'm just kind of in a wait and see. I think I'm going to wait till October 1st to tell you what I really think about this team. Uh, you know, if you had to make me put money on it, I would say Caleb Williams is probably the best player uh, or the best quarterback in this conference. All that being said, I'm not willing to say that with any absolute confidence because, again, I, I don't know that he won't bust with that many different things going on and the fact that it seems like Lincoln Riley could throw out a stinker at quarterback. But if you, you wait till October, it doesn't make a fun preview, Gary. You got <laughs> oh, to no, throw all your true. chips in the middle of the table. No, I'm, I'm telling you right now, if, if we were forced to pick a bust quarterback, it's Caleb Williams. There you go. That's what I mean, we need right yeah, there. No, that's not, your gun. We don't need to wait till October I 1st. Don't, think he busts but if you made me pick a bust i think he's got the biggest percent chance at doing it right what? like i'm not gonna pick you know i'm not picking bama or osu or any of no, none of their quarterbacks are probably bust guys but i do think caleb williams could bust here well in his offensive line we don't know totally what a he has in front of him yeah so yeah. anyway uh, we'll see about the trojans a lot of people picking them to go to the playoff i know when when lines first came out and win totals first came out USC was like a top five team uh, with odds to make the playoff, with odds to, you know, win 11 games and, or run the table. And that's like just that. getting sucker bets. Like, yeah. what, let's and that absolutely is taking free money yep. uh, on behalf of the house. So I think they're going to be good. Um, but yeah, I, I'd rather be a late adopter to USC than yeah. go in early and say 11 and 1, 12 and 0, and, you know, to the to the Pac-12 championship and into a college football playoff team that might do both of those things. 
are the Utah Utes, which Trey is because for sake of peak content, we've given Trey the Utah preview because he's probably the most objective out of the three of us on the Utes, and he's warming <laughs> up currently right now. Uh, so Trey will give us the unbiased third party, what we're hoping is an unbiased third party opinion. And then and Garrett and I, I, I believe are going to have some comments here, but I'll say, Trey, Mitch, do you want to, do you want to shovel the coal on the hype train in the background while he's doing this one? We can, we can just I, shovel coal. Over here. We've got, we've got plenty of time to, to, to fire up the hype train. So, so Trey, take us, take us to, uh, to Utah, my friend. Let me just, uh, put the cap back on my red pin here for the Utah Utes ledger. Um, <laughs> no, uh, guys, Kyle Whittingham, you know, without a doubt, maybe the most underrated coach in college football. Um, they've been steady. They've held on um, as powers of the conference, like USC, like UCLA, like even Oregon have faded. Um, now Kyle Whittingham has them on the cusp of reaching the highest level of the sport. Um, like you guys said, there's a lot of playoff hype for Utah this year. It was a rough start um, last year at one and two, but they got it figured out. Um, they make a quarterback change in the middle of that stretch, and they go nine and one to close. Um, they shellacked Oregon twice, um, got their first Pac-12 title. They came up just short to Ohio State in the Rose Bowl in a crazy entertaining game. Now those expectations, they're at an all-time high. And uh, the Pac-12 is really theirs to run uh, if they can step up. But the biggest question for me, and this is where my step back comes in, it takes a lot to make a college football playoff run, especially if you are not the most talented team on your schedule. So do they have the right combination of depth, talent at key spots, and just sheer luck to actually make that run to the playoff? There's pressure on them for the first time, and they have to rise up to that pressure. And it'll be really, really interesting. This is definitely the most intriguing storyline in the conference for me this year. Um, can they rise up to that pressure? So offensively, eight starters back. The offense really came into their own last year when they inserted Cam Rising at quarterback in place of Charlie Brewer. Charlie was really... Uh, a much heralded transfer as he comes up to Salt Lake City from Baylor. But man, it just really did not work out last year. Uh, they started one and two, like I mentioned, um, really tough losses in there to um, BYU and San Diego State back to back. Insert Cam Rising, and the rest was history. Like I said, they closed out nine and one. Um, Cam Rising really protects the football well. For Utah to take the next step and actually be a true playoff contender, I think he needs to be a little bit more consistent on the big passing plays. They need to let him cook a little bit more, too. They need to give him a chance to air it out. They need to give him a chance to make those big plays. Um, talking about good quarterback running back duos, though, another great one in Salt Lake City, as Tavion Thomas is a dude at running back. He ran for over 1,100 yards last year, 21 touchdowns. And they're dangerous because they can balance it on offense. You don't really know what to stop. They had 3,000 passing yards on the dot last year, 3,035 rushing yards. So when you have that kind of balance and you're that successful at both aspects of the offense, it's really tough to stop you. Um, and having both Rising and Thomas come back and choose to run it back at Utah instead of maybe feeling out their options in the portal, great start for 2022. 
Um, they can be deadly in the play action. They can be deadly um, in that ground game. Like I said, I just want to see rising step up a little bit more in that explosive passing game. So at the receiver spot, uh, Britton Covey was the leading producer last year and a really good return man. He completed his eligibility though. So they really need to find someone to step up in that explosive play category. Um, the number two and three guys are back from last year and Devon Vele and Solomon Enos. Um, the passing game really runs through the tight ends though. So they like to put two, even three tight ends on the field last year. And they have two really, really good ones in Brant Keithy, 611 yards and six touchdowns last year. He was second only in touchdowns to position mate Dalton Kincaid, who had eight. And man, look for them to move all around the field, out in the slot, out wide, to create mismatches and just be a lot of fun to watch on offense for Utah. Um, but if it wasn't for rising, I think everybody would be talking about offensive line as a position group that had the biggest improvement over the course of last season. Uh, Bama Lucini is the big loss at left tackle. Um, but they've got a junior in Braden Daniels who looks like he's going to be their guy to, uh, he spent a lot of time at left guard and right tackle in his career. He looks like he's going to slide into that left tackle spot. The rest of the spots, they could see some shuffling, but they've got a lot of talent and experience there. It should be a strength of the team yet again. Over on the defensive side of the ball, a lot of production was lost. And if you're looking for a slight tap the brakes for Utah, it's that loss in production. They were 27th in total defense last year and 35th in scoring. And they were really solid. But if you only watch the Rose Bowl, um, you know that depth is and was an issue. That secondary depth there was absolutely exposed. I think they were starting a wide receiver at safety in that game against Ohio State. And, you know, when you're going up against the elite wide receivers that Ohio State had last year, that's not going to be a fun time. But just to give you like some numbers on that, outside of that game, the secondary was actually really, really good. If you take out the Rose Bowl, they gave up 573 passing yards in the Rose Bowl to Ohio State. You take that out, they would have averaged giving up only 195.3 yards per game. That would have been 22nd in the country in pass defense. With that Rose Bowl game added, it balloons up to 222.3, and they're all the way down at 60th. So can't really just look at the numbers there and say, oh, they were mediocre on pass defense. They were actually pretty good throughout the course of the season. Um, they had a couple of freshmen step up last year, and Clark Phillips the third, maybe CP3 as a nickname, just throwing that out there. Um, and corner Cole Bishop at corner for Clark Phillips and Cole Bishop at safety. They have true breakout um, and All-American potential as sophomores. They flashed a lot at as freshmen. Behind them, most of that production is back. Like I said, they were hurt in the Rose Bowl, but I think it's going to be a pretty salty unit this year. Linebacker might be the weak spot for them. They're replacing um, just maybe the best linebacker tandem in the country last year. And Devin Lloyd, who was a first rounder and all American and Nephi Sewell, um, brother to Panay Sewell and Noah Sewell up at Oregon. Replacing those guys is going to be almost impossible. They have four-star freshman uh, Lander Barton, who has a ton of family ties to the Utes, a lot of legacy there. He might be a starter in week one. He might be thrown in into the action. They also got a big portal pickup in Mohamed Diabate, who was a multi-year starter at Florida. So if those two guys can step up, I'm really confident in that linebacker room. 
but the strength of the defense is definitely going to be that defensive line. They have always had depth under Kyle Whittingham. They always have just really talented defensive linemen that they seem to find out of nowhere. They lost three starters from last year, but it looks like they're still going to be okay because of that depth. Now, getting into looking at their schedule, their floor ceiling, the over-under is at nine on the dot. And you guys say I'm down on Utah. I'm taking the over for uh, Utah at that line at nine. But the question is, do they have that potential playoff ceiling? I'm going to say no, because I love the Utes. They're my pick to win the conference. But I just don't think they're talented enough to run the table in a power conference. That's what's going to take from the Pac-12. Like they cannot lose a game. I don't. At least I don't think they can afford to lose even a single game and still make the playoffs. They're not getting in with a loss. So can they win ten games? Absolutely, and most likely, will they win thirteen in a row? I just don't see it. But their danger zone. They have a huge opener at Florida. That's a huge opportunity for, as a statement. Uh, San Diego State is a tough team in week three. We've talked about them a few times. They beat the Utes last year. But their true danger zone is weeks five through nine. Oregon State, who beat them last year. At UCLA, who, of course, I'm pretty high on. It's also in a look-ahead spot because they host USC the next week in week seven. And then after a bye, they're at Washington State on a Thursday night. So. That's going to tell the tale of the season. If they get out of that unscathed, then maybe I start to board that hype train with you guys. But I'm not confident that they get that they're still undefeated after week nine. Listen, you make, well, you, make you make you make good points. <laughs> make a lot of good points. Um, Garrett, I know feels very strongly about this, so. Keep it keep it brief. Uh, I've I've got a couple of notes, and then we'll sure. move on to superlatives. <laughs> yeah, no. So Trey does make some good points, but they're just all wrong. No, I'm just kidding. I'm messing with you. Um, no, I think Utah is going to go 13 and 0 and be the three seed in the playoff, and I don't think that it's going to be that hard to do it. Look, I get it. They weren't necessarily crazy, but quick point that I want to make. I think if Cam Rising doesn't get hurt in that Rose Bowl, I think they beat Ohio State. I absolutely think that that's true. Yeah, I forgot to mention that, too. He, he yeah. did go down, and that was if, a big I think if, if Utah beat Ohio State last year in the Rose Bowl, I think the dialogue around this is a very different conversation. I think we're talking about, oh, my gosh, Utah knocked off Ohio State. They're supposed to be one of the best in the country. They kept that. We're talking about Cam Rising being able to sling it around and keep up and all that. He didn't necessarily put up gaudy numbers. But, yeah, you were mentioning it. They've got lethal tight ends. I think Tavion Thomas is one of the best running backs in the country. I, I think he absolutely gets disrespected, maybe even more than Charbonnet at uh, UCLA. So I just – I think he's extremely good. Um, I just – I don't see how anyone stacks up with Utah this year. I think they're just going to play a different style of ball than everyone else in the Pac-12. And I think that's going to be a real issue for pretty much everyone. I mean, they play a very physical style. They wear you down and they don't seem to mind it, right? They're a team that's real comfortable being physical for a full 60 minutes and they're going to do this. You know, you mentioned the fact that they lose their best receiver. I get that. They brought back five of their top six targets though. 
So you want to talk about consistency. You want to talk about bringing guys back, being physical, all that stuff like that. Top it off with the fact that they smoked Oregon twice last year and, you know, almost beat Ohio State if it wasn't for an injury to Cam Rising. I think we're going to start putting some respect on the name of the Utah Utes. I am firmly planted on the hype train for the Utah Utes. Uh, And look, maybe I'm totally wrong, but I'm going to go down at the ship on this one. You mentioned, Trey, when you were doing the Colorado preview that Colorado's staff might have a little bit of an antiquated view that, hey, the most physical team wins. And while I think if you're building an offense based off of that defensively, if you have the most physical defense in the conference, that is a massive advantage. And that certainly goes the way of the Utes. I think a top 10 offensive line, a quarterback that they know and trust, plus, like Garrett said, a bunch of their pass catchers and a very deep stable of running backs coming back. To me, if if not now, then when, right? Like it's one of those deals where it's like all the ingredients for the cake appear to be back and their defense does lose some of the production. They've got a solid depth of defensive line and then two all-conference returners in their secondary. So to me... I believe that Utah has the most advantages out of any of the teams in the conference. USC might be more talented. USC and Oregon are, are, are probably more talented from a pure roster standpoint. Like if we were looking at Madden ratings, Oregon and USC probably have higher rated players. I tell you what, man, those guys suit up for Kyle Whittingham and they play a tough nose brand of football to to the the point where yeah they smacked Oregon in the face from the very jump and Oregon never had the physicality even under a guy like Cristobal to answer back and and to to claw their way back in now quarterback issues aside at Oregon I know that was a major factor in that but to me it seems like if you don't have all your ducks in a row week in and week out Utah is going to beat you. And so, yeah, is running the table extremely unlikely? Yes, 100%. It's just so hard to go undefeated at any sport. I still tend to think, depending on what happens in the SEC and the Big Ten, I think a 12-1 Utah team could get in. I think a Pac-12 champ Utah team that, you know, as long as their loss isn't just an egregious loss. I think they can find their way in. And so for me, Utah would be a four seed. I don't, I don't know if they're going to run the table necessarily. I think for kicks and giggles, I've got them going 12 and 0, but more realistically, I think it's an 11 and one season, a pac 12 title. And if they do all of that, I would put them in the playoff. Yeah. I mean, of course, if they go 12 and 0, they're absolutely, or 13 and 0, they're absolutely in the playoff. Um, I just I just really struggle to see them doing that with this schedule. Since they joined the Pac-12, and I know it's a different team, different year, other than the COVID year, they've never lost fewer than three games in a season. And that's awesome, right? Like, they've been some really awesome teams, some really great uh, performances for Utah. But... To say that they're going to go from never losing more than three to going undefeated or even just losing one game is just a little too far for me. And, you know, if they do lose that one game, it's just asking for the committee to put them in. And unless it's 
Florida to open the season, and then they rock, uh, reel off 12 straight. I just don't see that because unfortunately I just don't think the brand name is there. And we, that's a whole different conversation, but I totally yeah. agree with that. I agree that if they lose a game, the committee might be biased and leave them out. Now that would be wrong. And I would absolutely go to bat for Utah fans there and say that they got robbed, but I would agree with you that that's probably is the case. I just don't think that's going to be an issue this year. We talked about how USC had some question marks on the defense, some massive question marks on the defense. And even at Oregon, we've watched Bo Nix struggle against good defenses and really not know how to deal with a good pass rush before. You're telling me Bo Nix is going to be fine against that Utah D-line? I, I just don't see it, man. I don't see his ability to kind of continue to make play. Now, again, we talked about it. Good Bo shows up. Well, then it's, you know, hats off, see you, Utah. But I just I don't think good Bo shows up for that game. Not that late in the season with that much on the line. All those things in a vacuum, yes, right? But there's a reason that parlays pay out more if you're betting (laughs) and you're telling me that you're going to parlay a game at Florida with a hundred degree heat and 99% Mm -hmm. humidity, a game against San Diego state, a game at UCLA, 100% USC at home the next week at Oregon to end the year. It's, it's just a lot has to go right. And it has a never has right. happened before. So I would love to be wrong. I would love to see Utah kick that door down. I'm just saying tap the brakes a little bit. I think a Pac-12 championship, back-to-back championships is a great banner to hang. Going back to the Rose Bowl and getting another shot at one of the big boys of college football from the Big Ten, amazing opportunity. And I think that's probably where Utah tops out this year. So foot all the way on the gas for Utah. No tapping the brakes. <laughs> not doing it. Final word from Trey. You do not have the Pac-12 making the playoff this year, right? No, I don't. I, I have Utah slipping up somewhere, winning the conference, and being the rep in the Rose Bowl. And going to the Rose Bowl. Fair enough. Uh, we will have a season prediction slash you know, playoff preview show that will be the final. It's planned to be the final preseason episode before our week zero preview um so you'll have to just stay tuned to find out who trey's four teams are you already know that utah is likely one of the teams that garrett and i are putting in uh trey's trey's four maybe a little bit more mysterious all right one last thing uh before we get out of here trey run us through the consensus rankings and then we've got uh the superlatives like we do for every episode all right well it's pretty clear if you were listening but we have utah winning the division USC in second, followed by UCLA, a Pacific Ocean-sized chasm, Arizona State in fourth, Arizona in fifth, and Colorado in sixth. Yikes! Uh, I mean that 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 was pretty pretty unanimous across the board. I don't I don't think there were yeah. really really. Many I think arguments. the only difference we had at all was um, the order of Arizona and Arizona State. Yeah, across our four three ballots. Um, for superlatives. Uh, Trey, you and I have the same offensive player of the year. Garrett, uh, no surprise. You are, are going with uh, a, a different quarterback in the division. Please lead us off. Uh, well, the quarterback I'm going with for the offensive player of the year is Cameron James Rising, the quarterback for the Utes. Look, if you're the quarterback that's taking your team to the playoff, you're going to be the offense player of the year. Fair enough. That's That's very fair enough. Uh, we've both got Caleb Williams being the offensive player of the year. I think ultimately his stats are are going to be pretty pretty impressive, both throwing and running the football. And you know, if USC does live up to the hype 
there's going to be a lot of media outlets that are crowning him not only as the offensive player of the year in the Pac-12, but also maybe as a Heisman frontrunner. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Defensive player of the year, Garrett and Trey both have the same guy. We all have a player from Oregon. I went out on a limb here because I think that Justin Flo is the most talented defensive player in the Pac-12, a linebacker from Oregon. That being said, though, He's played in like five games in his career. The guy is chronically hurt. So if he stays healthy, he's a physical freak. He can do every single thing on the field. He can come off the edge. He can play stand-up linebacker. I think it could be a really special season for him, though. If if he gets hurt again, though, you know that, that pick immediately goes out the window. Yeah, and Garrett and I have another linebacker at Oregon in Noah Sewell. Rock solid, steady guy that just fills up a stat sheet and could be a first round pick next April. So um, yeah, we're locking him in for defensive player of the year. Most improved team will blow through this. This is USC by default. If indeed they meet any sort of the expectations, uh, they will certainly foot that bill after going four and eight last season championship predictions. Garrett, you and I have Utah over Oregon. We've gone over that numerous times and Trey, you also Join us on the bandwagon, not as high on Utah, but also join us on the bandwagon, Utah over Oregon. So consensus across the board, the Utes should repeat as the Pac-12 champion. Yeah, I think the only disagreement we have there is where the Utes go after that. But, uh, you know, hey, look, if they do only make the Rose Bowl, I will take it if we get that Rose Bowl helmet again. That was a nice helmet, and I'd love to see that on the field one more time. It was a really, really, really clean lid, no doubt about it. Um, Guys, that's a Pac-12, done and dusted. Uh, interesting conference, certainly maybe some more discrepancy between the top and the bottom than I think we've previewed so far, just because, you know, like in the big 12, there are going to be teams that like Kansas that are at the very bottom, but we also said there's probably five teams that can win here. It very much feels like maybe for, if you squint, right? Like if UCLA hits everything the right way and, and wins all their, they're crucial games to get into a Pac-12 championship game if USC is actually legit. If Utah can live up to the hype. And then what does Bo Nix do at quarterback for Oregon, right? Like there's so many questions for probably the only four teams that have a shot at winning at winning the conference. It just feels like there's a lot more between the haves and the have-nots. And even the haves in this conference maybe have to answer a lot, a lot more questions than... Uh, you know, some of the other teams that we've previewed. So anyway, interesting kind of dichotomy there for for that. We've got one final Power 5 conference to do, and it is without a doubt the best conference in all of college sports. The Southeastern Conference will be our next preview. Then, like I said, we'll do two episodes to split up a variety of group of five teams plus the independents. So BYU, Notre Dame will get previewed as well. And then guys, we are knocking on the door of the season, right? We're like three weeks away Almost from here. recording. Um, I have a couple of, of guests that will join us as well. At least they're they're planned to join us. Uh, one to preview the SEC and then one likely to preview the MAC, making sure that that will still happen. But uh, want to make sure that you guys, if you have a team, it gets previewed, that you know everything about the other teams. You know, and that's that's one of the things that we've really enjoyed getting to do is obviously diving into the stats, diving into the rosters, um, and you know, these, these episodes aren't short. They're, they're not, uh, you know, mailed in They're They're certainly well thought out and well planned. And we really do 
uh, appreciate all the support from from you guys. Um, you know, supporting the episode, listening to them, listening all the way through the episodes has been really cool. The retention rate is sky high from you guys. So again, just shout out for all the support. And uh, if if you don't follow us on social media, head over at Three Tech Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Trey is putting out some fire graphics right now. Um, and Garrett is working on the video content as well. So we've got you covered. I'm basically tweeting every single day or, or one of them is tweeting every single day. So we've got you covered all things college football for Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. I'm Mitch Mason until next time. So long, everybody.